Sure, I mean, yeah, that was one of the biggest decisions was to uh, go alone, right? There were a lot of European operators um, looking to partner uh, with someone, with a company like ours that has such broad market access. Um, we had been operating sports books for 30 years in Nevada, so we were quite comfortable with sports betting. We have our own risk management team. And so when we were looking at some of those deals, because they were all about scale and about mobile, um, and there's so many more learnings in, in Europe than we had in uh, Nevada initially, um, being patient paid off for us. And I think we're in a good place now where uh, that decision allows us to own 100% of the economics, we own 100% of the customer data, uh, we own the ability to have our brand get greater reach and be the brand that if we're gonna spend all this money on marketing and doing deals and building sports books, why not have our own brand being the one that's being pushed out there? And then you try to get the halo effect where not only you're getting sports betting revenue, but you're gonna get all the trickle down revenue of your brand being uh, the one that's, that has all the exposure. So that was probably our biggest decision. And then after that, it was aligning capital and uh, you know, this is definitely a capital intensive uh, pursuit. You need, to book, you need to build books, you need to get, buy technology stacks, you got a, a lot of things that uh, require a lot of bandwidth and resources from a company that ours has. And so that was the next challenge of just understanding that when you get, when you roll out sports books across all of these markets, how much capital it's going to take to get it done. So, Thanks. Joe, do you want to talk to that? Uh, well, it's a little different, in, 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 I guess, in our case, in that when I, I started the company that I sold to William Hill, it was just because I thought this was an interesting business and that eventually, at some point in time, sports betting was going to become illegal. Uh, and so I was a seller when William Hill was taking the decision to expand into the U.S. market. And, and I think that was just sort of fundamentally premised on the company was heavily concentrated in the U.K., was looking to diversify. Um, outside and, and Nevada was the one place where sports betting was uh, uh, was legal in the U.S. Uh, and it looks played out incredibly well. Uh, you know, the, the the cost of the acquisitions has been repaid uh, uh, many times over, and, and we've been able to grow a, a business uh, to to uh, hopefully capitalize on whatever comes. Um, but uh, as Christian said, it's a capital intensive business. It's, Certainly, going to be a lot of investment uh, to be made uh, over the uh, over the coming years to uh, uh, to, to put the foundation uh, in even more firm footing. We think we have a really good foundation now, but it's it's you know this is a business that's going to be around a hundred years from now, right? Long after you know we're all dead, and and, and so you know this is kind of like you know the very early days of, of of sports betting in the U.S. And I think it's you know there's just big frenzy uh, of activity around this. I walked into this conference facility today, I was like blown away that, you know, the conference uh, organizers are really making a killing on this stuff. When you see all the people are here and all the, you know, suppliers outside, um, and, and they're probably, you know, them and the, and the guys selling sponsorships for the New Jersey Devils and, and the leagues, you know, they're the, the guys making money in the short term. I think, you know, an awful lot of other people are gonna be making investments for the long term. Thanks, John. Where are you on this, John? You know, uh, I think the, the biggest decision that we made is not making a decision and, and holding. Um, 
you know, as Joe said, this business will be around in 100 years after, after Joe's gone, and you know, hopefully I'll be alive. Um, but, um, you know, we are, we are learning, and we look to our friends in New Jersey. We're learning a lot. You know, we're, we're learning that product matters, right? You know, you have companies like DraftKings and FanDuel who have years of experience building B2C digital mobile products. It shows, right? And obviously, there's other reasons why they're leading in Jersey, but I'm sure that's one of them. You know, we're learning that owning your own tech stack, your own player account management platform, your own middleware matters because it allows you to be more innovative. It allows you to bob and weave and, and, and sort of adjust with taste and preferences. You know, we look to our friends at Rush Street Interactive and Richard Schwartz and his great team. You know, they don't even have a casino in Jersey, yet they are garnering like 8% of the market share for both Sportsbook and iGaming. And then we look at, you know, if you are great at retail, you can drive people online. You know, look at what Joe and his team is doing in William Hill, you know, operating retail books in Jersey, but they have 12% of the online market and they're formidable players there. So those are the attributes, you know, owning your own product, owning your own tech stack, uh, being excellent at retail. If you look at Penn National Gaming and, and you know, Caesars and the assets, that we have, you know, we think that we can hopefully emulate some of the things that our friends are doing in New Jersey and, and be competitive in the online space in the future. Thanks. So let's talk about channel. Uh, how are you differentiating the offering, for example, with Caesars uh, between retail and mobile and, and the differential uh, difference between those, those different channels? How are you positioning yourselves to drive that uh, kind of omni-channel type approach? Yeah, so I agree. I, I think mobile's going to lead the way at the end of the day, right? Mobile's going to be the biggest business. Uh, the, it is critical, though, to have these retail assets. Um, you know, I think in the U.S. specifically, these aren't small books. I think you have like 2,600 of them in the you know, U.K. These are, these are massive resorts and destinations that people frequent, right? The average uh, customer for us has significant amount of days in the casino. And so I think building a retail um, footprint is gonna be really important in the US. And we're gonna have a variety of different models. Like right? we can build a sports book for half a million dollars and we can build a sports book for $10 million. And we're gonna do that, right? So in New Jersey, we're gonna have some, um, we're launching two new sports books, May, uh, June, where they'll be really we think uh, category killers to where we can throw large events in them, we can uh, market to have big um, uh, fan days and try to drive a lot of food and beverage revenue and ancillary gaming revenue. So I do think retail is gonna be great across our footprint. It'll have a, be another reason for people to come to our properties and uh, to get together. But the retail product has its limitations on what you can really do with features, right? And, you're going up to a window or you're going up to a kiosk and it's about the transaction, transaction speed and getting all the type of bets. But I think that has limited capacity of innovation where we're gonna spend a lot of time is on the mobile product. Um, and I think that's where this is like, I don't even know if it's the first inning. This is, we're still in pre-season of what all the mobile products are gonna look like, what ours is gonna look like, um, what we'll own and what we won't. And I think uh, that's where we'll be spending a lot of effort. It's going to be on mobile over the next uh, 18 months, two years. 
Thanks a lot. Uh, Joe, do you have to add to that? Well, cl clearly I think product is going to be uh, important. You know, the, the, the uh, and will continue to evolve. I, I think it is it is the first inning, right, it, um, of, of where we are. But, you know, it's also important, I think, to recognize that, you know, that the business has been operating in Nevada uh, um, for know, 40, 50 years now. Um, and, you know, you've got guys like Vic Salerno and Art Manteros who are standing in the back of the room who were instrumental in really driving forward the Nevada uh, sports betting business. Uh, and and um, it, it, even though it's the first inning, I guess to some extent, maybe that was spring training. You know, maybe, you know, I guess MLB doesn't want you to bet on it now, but, you know, people have been betting on, on it for, you know, 40 or 50 years. But um, where, you know, where it's going to go by the mid-innings, mid you know, when, when I'll keel over, I guess, John will still be going late into the ninth. Um, uh, or maybe, you know, Christian will be there with him in extra innings. Um, it, it, who knows, right? Uh, it, it's such a great time, especially, like, I'm too old now, but to be, like, a young guy or a young lady who's kind of into this space and and to be an entrepreneur in this space, I think it's such a tremendous um, uh, time of opportunity within the space uh, for, for people to just be creative and, you know, be those guys in the garage and trying to come up with something uh, that, that, that ultimately catches on, and we don't know it yet, but it'll come. I was just saying, I've, I've never been so popular on LinkedIn. All, the, all these in-mails of products, that, there's like so many products that are available for sports betting, that I think all of this coming to the US, or coming out of Silicon Valley, all these ideas, it's gonna be exciting for the next few years, for sure. I, I agree, I, I think somebody in their garage in Iowa is gonna make the next like Tinder of sports book, and they're gonna crush it. Uh, so invest in that company. Uh, you know, I also think when I, when I think about innovation, um, you know, I think Penn National and Caesars were a relatively similar company based on our retail book. I think there is a lot of innovation with sort of an omni-channel solution, right? Like, how do you actually incentivize people who walk into your casino to sign up for a mobile app? Are there things you can do with a specific type of bet? or the margins you're giving to people at retail to get them online, and vice versa. I think that you know, the casinos will lead the way in this innovation, and I think it could be a really interesting differentiator as we try to compete with like the DraftKings and the FanDuel's and you know, the, the burgeoning, the scores out there who are gonna crush it you know, in, in a good way. Um, how do we get our cost per acquisition down? I think really leveraging our traffic in a, in a unique way uh, it is, going to be a key driver to innovation for us. This is painful because I'm going to give you a little bit of props, but that was one of the decisions of, of our tech stack starting with uh, SG is that it is our gaming platform. And so the ability to have this omni-channel, one wallet, you can do sports betting on your video poker machine, on your slot machine, all, the wallet uh, can be used to play slots, it all refunds. I mean, that's the vision that we have as a company is a complete omni-channel approach. Total rewards card for Caesars now, right? Caesars rewards yeah. is all plugged in and linked. So we have all the CMS accounts all linked to uh, sports betting as well. So you earn points while you're playing. But omni-channel for us with uh, SG was one of the big decisions as well. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't think you had enough branding around, <laughs> around, the, area. around the show. But we need some more. Um, 
What do you think about Inplay, and uh, how will uh, how will Inplay take on increased focus in the U.S. given U.S. sports, the American sports? You know, it's um, north of fifty percent, obviously, in, uh, in in other parts of the world. It's up to about thirty percent in in our Nevada business. I think sometimes it's a little misunderstood. It's not so granular uh, as ball strike, for instance, or run pass. As, uh, for instance, and, and, and that's led to, I think, to some misunderstanding around fundamentally what people are betting on is the outcome of the game, right? Whether it's total points scored or the point spread or just who's going to win uh, the game. And obviously it fluctuates greatly as the, uh, as the game goes on, but it keeps people certainly engaged um, throughout the game uh, and, and or, or a defined subset of the game, right? One of the fact the number one in play sport in the US uh, for us at least is Major League Baseball it's a function of the number of games um, but also the pace of play is just fantastic for, for in play there's the natural break in between innings when you can you know make your bet for the next inning and people can bet will there be a run scored in the next inning yes or no and you're taking a three-hour game and chopping it down to a to a 20-minute game or similar to betting you know game by game or set by set in tennis so that, that, that to me is, is, is a, uh, a, an important opportunity. will continue to grow, uh, and, and I think it will continue to evolve, right? You'll get uh, video ultimately integrated into, into the apps where you can watch and bet as you're watching. Uh, I don't think that's you know, particularly long off in the U.S. It already exists in Europe. Um, and and you know, the type of bets that will attract people will, will continue to evolve as well. I was just saying, I mean, it's going to add a lot of fun, right? This is going to be really good for media companies as well and for sports leagues and teams, and it's going to be engaging. This is what, you know, people talk about. You, you don't just wait till the end of the game to see if you won your bet anymore, right? You All through the game, you're active, you're active and engaged with a product that's fun, and this is going to, I think, help the entire ecosystem. In-game betting, I mean, I was talking to the PGA guys you know, the shot tracker technology, being able to make a bet on, on closest to the pit, that's awesome. That's fun. Um, I think it's gonna be, you know, an awesome experience for betters. Question that I ask um, as an operator is, uh, at what price? Um, you know, there is an ROI that we need to hit. And obviously there's a lot of conversation now that operators, data providers and the leagues are having about the value of that data. I think Kenny was up here earlier talking about that. You know, and I, I would like to uh, give an open invitation to Kenny and uh, Scott from the NBA and whoever is in the NFL, me, Joe, Christian, let's go to like a remote place, sit down, have a couple margaritas. We'll open up our Excel model and show you, you know, how much money we're actually making here because I still think there's a little bit more collaboration uh, you know, to do and figuring out what is a healthy ecosystem in terms of the price of this data that will drive these in-game betting experiences. Let's look at that. Okay, um, how important are risk management services to US operators, uh, especially those trying to run, run a multi-state book? How do you see that situation changing in the years to come? Since it's sort of the core of what we do, obviously we think it's it's pretty important uh, because you know the higher margin um, 
it all falls to the bottom line. Absent gaming costs, all of the costs uh, remain constant. Uh, gaming taxes, all other um, uh, costs are the same, whether you're holding 4% or 5% or 6%. Uh, and I mean, I think o overall, the, the, the types of margins that people are used to seeing in the, U in the UK or in Europe, that's just not the US market, never gonna last here, never gonna happen here, won't, won't be the same. Uh, it'll be much like the Nevada uh, experience of 5% margin. Um, but you know, we, we, we've, you know, we track it very carefully ourselves in a gaming control board reports on a monthly basis. And everybody knows the day it comes out, I wanna see kind of where we stacked up. Uh, and you know we've consistently been able to to beat the market in margin by 25 30 percent year on year and I think that's been a consistent um, aspect of the success the business has had uh, because it all you know it all falls uh, uh, to profit it's because we want it to be better for the customer that's why ours is lower yeah well <laughs> and, you know but here, here's the other thing too uh, and, and not necessarily vis-a-vis -vis the two of us but vis-a-vis -vis Europe, for instance. I mean, here you, you have to be competitive, price competitive with the black market, right? People are not gonna, gonna bet um, at, at a lower theoretical margin in the, in the legal market than they're used to getting in the black market. And so this idea that somehow, you know, there's gonna be differential pricing that, that's ever gonna stick, I think is just silly. I think distribution is also gonna be important. You get heavy weighted in one state with one team, so having distribution in multiple books across multiple geographies in the U.S. will also be important. Otherwise, you can have an unbalanced uh, approach to it, which is going to be important for, you know, as operators get up and running, if you're only operating in one state, it could be challenging as well. Yeah, P&G's risk management strategy now is, is Joe with the baseball bat, wanting the sharps out of our casino. Um, but uh, look, risk management, it's, it's obviously important. We think about risk management at PG. We think about you know, of, of the entire stack that you need to build a sportsbook platform. What do you want to own? What do you want to outsource? And, you know, we say at, at Penn National, we want to own the value-add innovation layers, and we want to outsource the things that we're not good at today. Uh, so, owning the player account management, the product, investing in that is something that's important. Which is why we've partnered with, with companies like William Hill who know what they're doing in that space on the uh, uh, you know, managed trading services. And we've, got, we've also got a hybrid model. So we, we have our own trading hub and then we also buy data. Um, and we've done that and kept it and actually increased the staff in order to make sure that we have uh, really unique bets in each one of our different regions. You know, so we can do a tiger, tiger, tiger bet down in Mississippi so that people can you know, really uh, uh, have fun with their favorite teams. And so some of these really customized, localized types of bets, we will we'll put out ourselves. And then for, if we're trying to do cricket, we'll obviously buy that, right? I think the, uh, to, to the point that Christian made earlier about sort of the regional effect, ultimately it's just a matter of your, uh, a matter of your philosophy and, and stomach for the swings, right? In, in England area clearly everybody's betting on the Patriots um, but you know o over time that sort of equals out and so it can impact you know a particular event can lead to a bad month but really insignificant over the course uh, of a long time and, 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 and certainly I always think that you're just better off not worrying about that I mean I remember when after we opened in Mississippi one of our partners um, 
down there and said, what are we going to do? You know, everybody's going to bet the Saints every week. And I said, well, we're just going to root on the other team. Right? I mean, it's just you know, not a whole lot, you know, that, that you're really going to do uh, if, if you want to manage the book properly uh, uh, rather than just giving up your value to uh, a professional better who's just betting with you because he thinks, you know, he's getting positive value. Beyond that, you just have to have the stomach to, to take the swings. Thanks. Okay, let's change tack a bit. Uh, so, some groups are spending millions on acquiring digital players. Uh, mobile is already three times the GGR to retail in New Jersey. What is the cost of entry from your perspective? And over what time period? And how long will cost of the existing databases last uh, by, held by the current retail operators, in your view? What's that? I think the, uh, the cost of entry yeah, is different for, you know, depending on the state, the tax regime, the competitors. You know, one way I think about cost of entry is cost per acquisition. The, the more economical the state is, the higher lifetime value you can get per customer, you know, which means that you have a limited, smaller tax rate, you are able to potentially cross-market into iCasino, then your ability to enter to that state with a higher cost per acquisition goes up, which you know is a virtuous cycle with all the ecosystem. You know, the state governments, there's more players, there's more revenue, there's more investment. You know, then you look at a state like Pennsylvania with a, a 36% uh, tax rate on top line, you know, your ability to spend money is diminished because your lifetime value of the customer is very low. And I think that you know, one of the things that we want to do as an operator with our operator friends is continue to work with state governments, regulators to help inform them that we think there is a virtuous cycle to have a healthy ecosystem from a tax rate perspective, and that will drive a higher cost per entry and more tax revenue for these states. Thanks.